Welcome to the Free The Wage Slave podcast. The podcast dedicated to helping frustrated nine to fivers get out of the rat race and succeed working for themselves. I'm Sky Kilji, a former corporate insurance wage slave who now travels the world year round working from my laptop. So I'm really delighted to have Emma Fielding on the podcast with me today. Emma and I became acquainted quite recently through our mutual friend, Helen Chorley. And uh, if you didn't listen to Helen's podcast yet, it's really, really highly recommended. Go and check that one out. But Emma, it's all about you today. I'm really, really delighted to have you here. And I can't wait for our audience to learn a little bit more about you. Thanks so much, Sky. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited actually about this podcast. So Emma, the audience don't know much about you yet, I'm sure, and I really want them to get into your whole journey, where you started from all the way through to where you are today. Why don't you take us all the way back to Emma, just after school, getting into those early years of education and work? Yeah, so wow, that seems like a long time ago, but actually it probably isn't. So I started kind of my business journey, let's call it, quite a few years ago now. So I'm currently 26 and I kind of obviously got my business degree from Northumbria uh, Uni up in Newcastle, which was fantastic. Loved it up there. Started a business, an app business, while I was at university, which is obviously very, very different to property. But kind of going a little bit back from that, I always knew I wanted to be in business. So my family, um, there's actually five generations of business owners wow. in my family. And I knew from quite a young age that I was like, yes, I want to be in business I want to be the one that makes it and I've always had that that drive and ambition to succeed regardless of kind of what it takes and how many hours you put into it so uni was was a great experience for me you know I, I moved away from Yorkshire I moved away from my hometown which is Barnsley up into the northeast um, and spent a good quite a few years up there um, and definitely learned kind of you know the basics and the fundamentals of, of business through my degree um, and then actually in my final year at university, I was very, very lucky um, and fortunate enough to go to a um, university in Boston in the US called Babson College. Now, this university is probably one of the most prestigious unis for entrepreneurship and business. And I'm actually the only um, student from Northumbria University to, to ever go to, to Babson College. Um, and that was through Santander University. So Santander as a bank have a, a kind of partnership with universities um, across the world and Babson is in that partnership. So I was part of that that went over there and then kind of finishing uni briefly what I mentioned is, is my app business at the time. So I pursued that. Um, I got some quite big contracts with some leading travel operators and got some investment as well. So, you know, from the age of kind of 21, 22, I was very much in business. And, you know, my app business at the time was something I didn't see coming. It just happened from an idea. Um, and I kind of run with it, really. So very, very different to property what I'm in now. Mm -hmm. I can definitely see the entrepreneurial thread is, is still alive in you from five generations through to, <laughs> to you today. Tell us about the idea for your app business. I remember you shared that with me and I think it's such a wonderful story. 
Yeah, so my app idea um, literally came from missing my train one evening um, at King's Cross. Now, we were doing the, like me and my friend, we, we were doing the connection from King's Cross up to Newcastle um, very late on, I think it was a Sunday evening, because we needed to get back up to Newcastle for our lectures um, on the Monday. And we actually missed our train because we were too busy drinking um, <laughs> in the local pub as things happen. And I remember, you know, it was 10 half 10 at night there was no more trains going up to Newcastle and we were frantically phoning you know National Express and and um and train line and all kind of the, the local train companies to be like, can we get a train up to Newcastle because we actually missed our train? And the answer of that was no, we we really couldn't. And I remember we ended up getting a train to Leeds from, from King's Cross. And then my dad drove us from Leeds up to Newcastle at 4 a.m. in the morning so we could attend lectures that next day. And at that point, I thought, oh, my God, there's got to be, you know, an easy way of comparing different modes of transport. And my app actually was called Compare My Travel. So, you know, says exactly what it does on the tin. It compares different modes of travel. And by that, I mean, it was comparing trains, coaches, car journey time and flights to any destination in the UK. Now, obviously that did happen, but it was quite a while actually until that business kind of got off the ground. Um, I definitely sat on the idea for probably about a good nine months or so and then I remember you know just having a conversation with the kind of um, enterprise manager of, of Northumbria Uni saying oh I've got this idea don't really know what to do with it can you help me and he actually pointed me in the direction of this open innovation competition so that basically means you submit your app idea goes for a public vote obviously whoever gets the most public votes um, then your app goes into kind of development and production now my app was in that and so was three other app ideas as well and then it was a race basically to get the app um, up and running to get it actually on on kind of the open market and get it on google and and apple etc um, and to get as many downloads as possible in a two-week period now at that time i had never kind of launched an idea or a product or a service and definitely not in technology so everything was brand new and at that time, actually, as well, I was actually still studying for my degree. I remember this was in, in my second year. And, yeah, I worked with these, these local app developers, which was amazing experience, learned so much about app and, you know, technology and the interface and, you know, how to get data, etc. And then, you know, managed to get some contracts with Skyscanner and RailEasy and some quite big players in the industry quite quickly. And then we launched the app. And then within two weeks, I think at the time we had over um, probably about 2,000 app downloads and this was from a marketing budget of absolutely zero so it was basically from social media, word of mouth, um, a lot of press and just getting the app idea out there and then I had quite a good cook like you know mutual friends of mine that in Newcastle everybody knows each other so I ended up actually getting my friends to to kind of um 
put a good word in with the the uh, Geordie Shaw lot at the time. And obviously, you know, they have such a, a large presence on social media. And then we got to with the Geordie Shaw guys to retweet it. And from there, it, it absolutely went viral. Um, and my phone was inundated with messages and, you know, um, and just people just wanting to download the app and stuff. And over its course, um, when the app was obviously live, we had about 10,000 um, app downloads in total. So from a marketing budget of zero to get, you know, 10,000 app downloads, I'm very, very proud of, um, I would say. And something that I didn't expect at the time, but I just ran with the idea. It's incredible. I just love that story going from an idea of, you know, somebody has a problem. All of us have those situations where we find a problem and we might have an idea, but it's rare for people to take that to actually getting something to the market. And it's Mm, even rarer for them to get it to the level of success that you had. So from going from that idea to where you did, what do you think was the most important factor in actually getting it as far as you did? I think there's a, probably a couple of factors, really. I think my network of kind of business contacts, you know, at that point, I had a couple of non-execs on board. And, you know, it's utilizing your network and actually not being afraid to speak to people and be like, look, this is who I am. This is my business. Um, and can you help me in such an area, um, for example? And the one thing I, I've never claimed is that I'm not an expert in, in everything. And for a business really to grow and to succeed you need to fill your skills gap now I knew my skills gap was potentially marketing and technology you know I don't come from from a technology background or anything like that so I needed to get those non-execs on board and actually you know speaking to people and going to business events and networking really really helped because then I was able to fill those kind of skills gaps that I had and I brung those skills into the business which really helped the actual business grow and then later get some further investment later down the line as well. Mm -hmm. I suppose there's two things when you have an idea like that. There's the idea, does that have legs? Is there merit in that? Is it commercially viable? But there's also the person. In many occasions, you invest in the person, even if you're not investing in the idea. I get the impression with you that it was both the person and the idea. You kind of hit that sweet spot. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I remember, you know, speaking to private investors and business angels and VCs at the time, and it says, yes, you know, you can have a fantastic idea, but if the person isn't investable or isn't credible or hasn't got that get up and go to to make something of this idea, then investment isn't going to come. And I knew, you know, I was in a good position. I had quite a solid education, but regardless of that, you know, I did have that, well, I saw do very much have that get up and go and that motivation to succeed and business isn't easy by no means you know I even now in property I don't shut off and that probably can be very much a downfall of mine but at the same time I absolutely love it and it's something that drives me forward every day. Mm -hmm. So do, do you think the quality of the idea and the individual can overcome, you know, that thing where somebody maybe hasn't run a business yet, even if they're well educated, an investor could say, well, why am I going to give you the money? You haven't run a business before. How much do you think the idea and the person can overcome that? 
Yeah, I think, you know, a, a lot of things like that can happen. You know, I, prior to me having compared my travel at the time, I hadn't run a business, um, but yet I was able to get investment. Now, I think because... I hadn't come from, you know, running a business before. If I can do that, anybody else can do that. But it's, you know, it's having those credentials behind you. And like what I mentioned before, filling those skills gap that you don't have and making the business foundation as solid as possible. And you do that in, in various ways, really. But also, you know, when you are going to investors, you want to present something to them and something that is tangible. Now with the first, well, with the app actually being already live and actually having that traction that definitely helped because I was able to say to investors look I've done this I've you know I've got 10,000 app downloads on a, a period of you know no marketing budget behind the actual app itself what about if we had 50k to really push this where are we going to get to then and that's when the exciting conversations start mm-hmm. happening when you've actually got something tangible and you can say look I've done this on this amount of budget what if we had a bit more where where can it go from there yeah it makes a lot of sense yeah for the people out there who have ideas and they say you know I'd like to develop my own app is it feasible for them to fund that themselves do they need outside investment like what does an app even cost to create so how I actually did it with mine, um, I, I entered that open innovation competition. Now, from my experience, there is a lot of, you know, technology competitions and literally free money out there. And you've just got to go out and find it. Now, you know, I, I was in, you know, a very lucky place at that time where I spoke to the entrepreneurial kind of manager of Northumbria and and he said you know look there's that competition you know go enter it now you know there's not just that competition out there there's loads up and down the country and I would say if you have got an app idea or you want to get in technology you want to run with your idea and make it something definitely look down kind of the, the free money route I would say and that's you know e-competitions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. I think that's going to be really helpful for a lot of people. So I want to move beyond the app. You, you've developed it. You're running that business. Things are going well. Do you stay running that app business or does your life move on to a different phase? So yeah, my life kind of moved on then. So when I was raising quite well, I was raising over six figures of, of investment. Now I had two business angels in the Northeast saying, yes, we will give you six figures. Um, but it came down to a really tricky point at that point. There was a large, um, a really big competitor um, in in Europe at the time that raised 150 million when I was raising my 350,000 pounds. Now, you know, any investor and any VC is going to be like, right, that is not going to stack up. You know, I'm going to need at least 200 200 million at that point. And, you know, yes, I did have an app that, you know, got a lot of downloads um, in a short amount of time, but really the the reality is it's just not going to happen raising 200 million in a very, very short amount of time so I kind of decided right okay you know I've got a lot from this business Um, I've learned a heck of a lot about business just in general made some really really great contacts 
And that's when I thought, actually, I'm going to let Compare My Travel, you know, die down for, you know, a while and maybe pick it back up in the future. But I thought, you know what, let's have a break from it. And at that point, I was, what, 24, I think. And I thought, you know what, I need I need a little bit of corporate experience. So that's when I thought, right, I'm going to get in the corporate world. I haven't really fully done it. I want to see if I can hack it. And um, and I think, you know, the corporate world is exciting. Definitely do not get me wrong on that. But I thought, yeah, I need some corporate experience. So I applied to a couple of uh, graduate schemes. And yeah, I got on a graduate scheme in retail, which is, you know, something I wasn't expecting at the time. But I grabbed the opportunity with both hands and, yeah, joined the corporate scheme of a retail company. You know, what's interesting in that is... There are some people that just, they like being in a job and there are others that have that kind of need for freedom. And what I usually see, and my experience also was I went into corporate and then I wanted my freedom. But you came from five generations of business owners. You're a business owner yourself, but you went the other direction. Yeah. Did you experience like a loss of freedom or, you know, like what was that like going that way in? Do you know what, like that transition from being a business owner to, you know, going in the corporate world and especially being a graduate in the corporate world. Wow, that was a real shock to the system. Looking back at it now, it was probably like one of the first times really where I probably had a boss so to speak and you know that relationship with with a boss and other colleagues and just you know general day-to-day corporate life now I'm someone that I very much go with the flow I like my own time I like my own freedom and to be told when you're going to take your lunch for example some days really really got on my nerves I'm not going to lie um <laughs> but it's just one of those things isn't it um mm-hmm. you know corporate world is very much secure isn't it you know you, you have a, a wage every four weeks in, in my case and in that sense it's really really good but for me you know the freedom side of it I knew my wig were getting clipped and I knew slowly as the months and you know the time went on I felt like my entrepreneurial spark was slowly going or shall I say it was slowly fading because I wasn't using it every day and that's when I I got frustrated I would say. Mm -hmm. You know it's interesting you used a phrase that corporate jobs are secure and I suppose they were maybe 40 or 50 years ago. And, Mm. you know, these days it's the illusion of security because we get the paycheck and and that's regular. And I get that it's it's different to business, but often the companies aren't as loyal as they expect us to be. I've certainly experienced that multiple times in multiple companies. I've, I've seen that across the board. Do you really think that corporate jobs are secure in 2020? You know what, I I would say when my dad was kind of working, you know, 40 years ago, I would say, yes, absolutely. Corporate jobs, you know, you have got one for life. Now, personally, no, I don't think they are as secure as back then. And, you know, people tend to move around a lot more as well now. So hence why, you know, there is a lot of movement in the corporate world. And I don't think they are as secure as what they were back then. And I think people now kind of get 
to the point where actually they've had enough of the corporate world. And that's the position that I'm in now where actually, you know, I've done my time. I don't want to be there any longer than what I need to be. And now it's time for me to pursue my, you know, passion for property mm-hmm. and to take that to the next level. Joe, I love the phrase that you used, I've done my time. It makes it sound like prison and everybody uses that <laughs> phrase. <laughs> Some days it, I think it probably kind of was back then. Yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely feel like, you know, my time is done and now it's time to step on my own two feet again and be that entrepreneur that I was, you know, a couple of years ago. Definitely. You know, actually, I, I kind of bag on um, on corporate jobs, but the real truth of it is you do learn good skills there. You learn about the quality of service that a, you know, a blue chip yeah. or a big client yeah. expects. There's a lot of positives in there. Yeah, you know what? I wouldn't disregard my, my corporate career because it, it has given me, you know, a lot of skills that I didn't think I would learn. And, you know, the people that I've met as well has been absolutely fantastic. But you know what? It's just time for me to to go out in, in the big wide world. Yeah. And, you know, there's one side which is if you're an entrepreneur, going into corporate to acquire some of those skills is useful mm, in your entrepreneurial yes. career. The flip side of that is even if you're in corporate, having a side hustle, I think, gives you a whole different skill set. Yeah. And I think it's so important, given that corporate jobs aren't as secure as they once were, that we have a side hustle. So did you already have a side hustle when you were in corporate? And, you know, has that helped you navigate where your life's going during this whole 2020 where life has just got crazy, companies are laying off workers, there's a whole kind of transition happening? Yeah, so I started my finance graduate position in September 2018, no, 19, sorry. And it was actually in the December, I actually bought my first flip. Now, I kind of knew, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try property with my corporate job and things like that. And, and that works. And, and it does work when well, it did work for me really, really well. Now, from there, I thought, actually, you know what, I'm actually earning more money <laughs> doing my property than in my corporate job. And that's yeah. when then I actually then got my second flip. And yet again, I've done it again. You know, I've earned more money than than my corporate job. And that was all, always my benchmark. And I always thought, you know what, if I can earn more money than my corporate job in property, then this is really the career path for me. And I absolutely love it. But it is hard work when you're in kind of, you know, that initial, you know, couple of months, initial stages of property investing and managing your corporate job as well. Well, it's so, so tiring um, and it's not to be underestimated. Um, And I probably think at that point I was doing maybe 60, 65 hours a week. Yeah. So that's quite a lot, really. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody goes through that. You have to work 60, 70 hours a week for a few years, but then you get the freedom to work a bit less for the next 40 years. That's a trade off I would make any day of the week. Yeah. So just explain to the audience what a, a flip is and what a fix and flip is, just so they're following along with you. Yeah, so um, a flip really is when you're buying a property and that can be under market value or at market value and you add value to it in whatever form that may be. So that may be a new kitchen, a new bathroom, you know, full like kind of decoration throughout or, you know, mini extension or whatever it may be. And you're turning that kind of old derelict property into something, you know, modern and contemporary that, you know, a buyer would like to buy. 
And then obviously that value of the property increases over the period of time that you've done the renovation. And then you then sell it on for that higher price. All right. Excellent. Nice and clear. So people hear about these things and they say, you know what, that, that sounds good. It's kind of like the app thing again. It's, yeah. it's, they hear the idea and they say, do you know what, um, I want to do that. But my two barriers are number one, I don't have any money for the deposit. And two, I don't have any education in property. Did you face either of those two or both of those two barriers too? So definitely the education part. So actually, before I bought my first flip in December 2019, I actually did kind of a mini renovation on a family property of ours up in the northeast. Now, at that point, I was absolutely completely a novice. Um, I got all my trades from Checker Trade. Again, I was still working a corporate job and managing the full renovation. So I, I literally just learned on the job. And even, you know, like uh, stripping wallpaper and filling in walls and again, managing trades, managing a budget. I just learned on the job. I definitely think, you know, my, my business, you know, university degree really helped me at that point. Obviously, it's all about budgets and managing, um, you know, the finances and stuff. And then going from there, I then took that on to my, my um, first flip, so to speak. But in terms of the actual education, um, I actually probably one of those rare breeds where um, I don't have a well I've, I've never done any property mentoring courses or I've never been on these property courses I haven't paid you know 25 pound to, to well to 25,000 to actually be on one mm-hmm. um, or anything like that I'm I'm just somebody that has learned on the job scaled the renovations in size but also in budget as well and just done it that way really. Yeah, I think you don't learn about football by reading a book about it. You learn by getting on the field. And I think that's just shown in your journey. Yeah, absolutely. And even in my last two renovations, I'm a very hands-on developer, I I would say. You know, I'm somebody that likes to get dirty and, you know, take the towels off the walls, for example, help the lads muck in as much as possible. And I think that's really the way that you learn and you understand what the trades go through. And, you know, ultimately, it's how you price up the renovation and how much time it's going to take. And you just have that better understanding, I think. And that's probably what's helped me now on the second renovation as I've done it quicker than the first renovation. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when we were talking, one thing that really stood out to me and impressed me is that you used your network again. Just like when you had the app, you found the people you needed. When you went into property, you did something so smart that I don't hear a lot of people doing, which is you went to see a tax and mortgage advisor. Yes, I did. Talk to us about why you did that, how much it cost you and what you got from it. Yeah, so that was something that was very much on my mind. You know, property, you know, there is tax legislation um, around that and obviously fi- filing your accounts. Having that business background, I always was was aware of that anyway. Now, kind of one of my dad's friends, he has a business and he, he was using these accountants for years and years and he still does to this day. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to have a conversation with these guys just to see what I need to know. And I thought, you know what, it's not going to hurt having a hard 
half an hour conversation with them. So I remember phoning them up and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm this young girl, I want to get in property. Can I sit down with a tax advisor for half an hour just to know a couple of ins and outs? And they said, yes, absolutely, no problem. So I sat down with him, this guy called Ian, really, really great guy, um, and told me everything that I really need, need to know. And I kind of had that path um, in my head from there, just knowing what my route is going to be into property and how I'm going to do it, especially in the short and medium and long term. That really helped. And the actual price of that was was zero. <laughs> so I actually didn't, I didn't pay for that advice. But now actually there are people that actually do do my tax returns and everything. And then the same again with, with my mortgage brokers. Again, that was a conversation that I had through a network with somebody that, that's actually in my network of property. And again, had, had a sit down conversation with him, didn't charge me anything. But now we actually kind of work together. So, you know what, just sometimes just being a little bit cheeky and going out of your way and saying, can I just have a sit down conversation with you? I want to ask these couple of questions, etc. You know what, nine times out of 10, those people say, yeah, no problem. And yeah, I, I obviously didn't have to pay for it or anything like that. So, so completely free. I think that's so important to touch on that you didn't spend the 25k on the property training. No, you, definitely you did not. up the the family house, your grandma's house, I think it was, and yeah. and learned on the job. Then you used your network to get the tax and mortgage advice and you know for those guys they're probably going to get your business down the line anyway so it works yes, in their favor. Yeah. But I think there's so much value in cultivating that network and then actually just asking guys, can I just ask you a couple of questions? I don't need more than 20 minutes of your time. That's so powerful. And I think people need to to pay attention to that in your story. Yeah, you know what, that was something that I was really kind of keen to do before really getting in property was actually having those sit down conversations beforehand and just planning out what I need to do tax wise and accounts wise and mortgage wise, etc. Um, and you know what, without that knowledge and that information, then I think I might have took a different path. But the path that I'm doing now has, has helped me. And obviously, it's based on the, their advice um, as well. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're being very frugal, you're saving money where you need to, you're getting the experience that you need to, both through your network and the practical of, of doing the renovation yourself and managing the tradespeople. One thing that people always say about property is, you know, I can't save that much money for a deposit, houses are so expensive, but you didn't actually have to save that much money for your first deposit, did you? No, no, no. So where I kind of live and where I invest in is mainly in Barnsley in, in South Yorkshire. Now, you know, the properties are relatively cheap, I would say, obviously, definitely com- compared to the South. And again, knowing the area that, that you want to invest in, knowing your strategy, what is your short term and long term goals, etc., can definitely help where you're thinking to buy and obviously renovate properties and stuff. But my, my actual investment on the first property was just 20k so that included the £9,500 deposit and then another 9500 for the actual renovation itself so yeah I got a, quite a good return on that one but I actually did live in that property and especially throughout the first lockdown um, in obviously this year yeah I, I lived in that property and it was a great one to renovate yeah 
it's amazing that deal. And we won't go into specifics, but I think you made enough money to start questioning, you know, do I really want to stay in this corporate job? <laughs> yeah, I, at that point, you know, when obviously you complete and, and I, I, I got the check and I think, God, at that point, do, do I really want to go to work um, on on the next day? But I did. And you know what? The corporate world has, has given me, you know, some great things. And, it, you know, it's, it's definitely helped me in property and stuff. But yeah, at that point, when you get your first check from your first flip, yeah, it's, it's quite hard to stay motivated in the corporate world. You know, I just love that we're catching you in your one year anniversary in property, December 19, <laughs> your first property. And now you've done, I think it's three renovations and two flips in a year. That's, that's quite prolific, Emma. Yeah, it's it's definitely some going, but in January things are going to change slightly. So I'm leaving the corporate world. Um, obviously, you know, this year we we have faced the pandemic of coronavirus and stuff. Now my contract at my corporate job won't be renewed. So do you know what? I'm actually going to go full time in property from January, and that is something that excites the hell out of me. Obviously, yes, it is scary, but you know what? I've got a fantastic team around me. Yes, of tax advisors, mortgage advisors, but also trades um, as well and people that I can call upon in the industry. And if this is the time to do it, this is definitely the, the, the time to, to really go at it. Yeah, I think the quarantines and the pandemic, the the benefit of that was people kind of went inwards a little bit and said, mm, well, what yeah. do I actually want? And then they realized that they don't have to work for somebody else. They can work from home. They can work with a little bit more freedom. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know what, throughout this pandemic, you know, I, I've, I've very much been been working at home. I haven't been traveling two hours a day to the office or anything like that. And, and that's when I've been doing the second renovation. And at that point, you know, what I've realized, actually, what really makes me happy, what makes me tick, it's being on site, on a renovation, with my trades, with my team, you know, pushing on and getting renovations done and turning, you know, really, old derelict houses into something fantastic where buyers walk in and they go wow that's amazing now that is what makes me really really happy yeah I think that's really important you know the money is there in whatever we do but I often find it's the transformation that is the spark for people you know the fitness coach it's about transforming someone's body the interior designer it's about the home I think it's really important to have that creative side expressed and also have that transformation that you, you know, we were a part of. You were the, the magician behind that almost. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, all the renovations that I've done, it's all my design, it's all my project management. And the one thing that I love, yeah, is just turning something really old and, and, and really run down into something amazing. And obviously, you know, people can see that from, from my Instagram and stuff. And yeah, it's just that, that whole transformation process. And, you know, the first renovation, well, the first flip I did in 13 weeks, and that was very much my myself being being very hands-on with that one now my second renovation it's a bigger renovation it's a big, bigger project more structural work involved where we've knocked down a wall and put down put into rsjs and that took 10 weeks in total so yeah not bad going so where are you going next in property i guess the deals get bigger and you can do more but what's that vision for maybe the next five years for emma 
So I think the vision now, this kind of changes <laughs> probably every, every couple of months or so. But you know what? The vision in five years, I think kind of that, that's more kind of medium term. It's definitely to be, to be financially free, so to speak, and to have a, a large portfolio of single buy to lets, but also HMOs, but also, you know, maybe do a couple of, of, of new builds as well, but turning in them into something amazing, you know, mm-hmm. again, that wow factor. But short term, definitely in the short term, in the next, you know, 12 months or so, definitely want to flip more properties. There's more properties that I want to go after. I don't really think the the houses will get back bigger because I like to be in and out of the renovation quite quick. And I know how quick me and my team can, can turn them around. So I don't really want to go that much bigger right now. So I definitely want to stick with, you know, the terrace houses, the the, the, the semi-detached type, type um, properties. But yeah, again, they still have great, great margins um, in them. Why do I feel like even when you're financially free, you're not going to be able to sit still? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? A couple of my trades actually do say that. I said, Emma, you know, yes, you might have, you know, quite quite a few uh, properties at that point. But you won't be able to sit still, and yeah, that that is probably right. My 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 head, you know, never really switches off. There's always something else I want to go after. But also, you know, th- there's other passions that I have, and you know, being in property, you know, yes, it's great financially, but there's also a part of me that that wants to give back as well. You know, being in in a, a comfortable position that I am, I do want to be in a, in a position where I actually can give back. Um, you know, start charities or you. Know, know develop properties for charities um and yeah give back actually drives me forward um a lot definitely a lot I love that I think that legacy project or that passion project is actually so important to pull you towards that destiny or toward that goal at some point it's not about the money anymore Mm. and I get it can be about the competition and proving it to yourself but I, I often find people that have that um passion project that is such it's such a good fuel to propel them towards their greatness rather than just being about more money yeah you know what I think at that point it won't be about the money and I don't think now it's really about the money it's about you know the transformation um of of the projects um and me actually leaving my 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 corporate job and and doing what I love but at that point yeah it's all about you know helping other people and, and giving back. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, being, being at that point where you are financially free and yeah, just making this world a better place. And I think if more people did that, yes, the world would be a, a better place. Amen. I love that. <laughs> Absolutely love that. Where, where do you think your work ethic comes from, Emma? Uh, oh God, I think that's a, that's a probably not not a difficult one, really. I think probably my five generations um, of business owners. Um, I would say, you know, my granny, which she's sadly n- no longer here now. She had an amazing work ethic. You know, she she ran a grocer's shop. She brought up four kids, and yeah, she she worked nonstop. And definitely think I've got some of her work ethic in me. But also, you know what? I'm I'm very driven. I know what I want and I go after what I want and I get it. <laughs> so yes, it's that, that's quite a bold statement to make. But you know what, if you have a goal, if you have a passion, go out and do it. Yeah, I think those two in combination are, are absolutely mandatory. If you're going to do something in business, you have to work hard 
And yes, you have yeah. to you have to ask for what you want and you don't have to be brash and aggressive. No, there's no, ways to do not. that, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's ways to go about it. You know, I'm not somebody that, that's going to stamp my feet if I don't get it, but I will be disappointed if I don't get it. But I will go back again and get it that, that second time or third time. However, I, I don't really give up. So, yeah, I've mm-hmm. always had, had that in me. So if someone's listening to this and they say, you know what, I'm really inspired by Emma's story. I'd love to get into property. Are there any books or resources or anything that you just, you know, after going through so much of it, you can say, you know what, that's actually good stuff that works in the real world. So in terms of books, I think a lot of people might actually be be surprised of this. I'm actually dyslexic, so I haven't read any property books whatsoever. I do actually own one and I've probably read about a paragraph of it. So reading is really not my strong point. However, there is so many podcasts out there that I listen to. You know, if you just type in property, there's hundreds that, that come up. So I try to listen to, you know, a full range of, of, of podcasts. If it's people just starting out or, you know, serial property investors or, you know, medium-sized developers as well. I try and, you know, listen to that full scale of people starting right right from the beginning to you know professional investors and stuff that really helps me and guide my thoughts but you know regardless of that I do have my own kind of passions that that I want to pursue and you know what a a little bit of guidance um, here and there does not hurt yeah and I love that you're listening to people who are five or ten steps ahead that full spectrum I think that's so important yeah you know what you've definitely got to and even when I was obviously, you know, very much in, in my first business, I was listening to, to podcasts that, you know, tech investors that have been investing in, you know, businesses so much big, bigger than mine. I was like, what makes them tick? What do they want, etc.? And that's really what helped me get my investment is knowing that. So again, doing the same here, I'm listening to podcasts and, you know, connecting with people as well that's probably 20 steps ahead of me that I can call upon and and ask questions with. And I think that really, really helps. And it's beneficial going forward. Yep. The power of the network again. So on that note, if someone's listening to this and they say, I have to connect with Emma, I need to talk to her, whether it's because they're a few steps behind you or whether it's someone that wants to invest with you, where can they find you? So probably my main point of contact is Instagram. So my name on Instagram is Emma Property Builds, or they can do a LinkedIn search, Emma Louise Fielding. And again, same on Twitter as well, Emma Louise Fielding. So you'll be able to find me on there. So yeah, really exciting times going forward and come January full-time in property. And you know what? We might get some investment as well. So exciting stuff. Exciting stuff indeed. We'll put all of Emma's links in the description below the podcast and uh, on freethewageslave.com forward slash podcast. Emma, I really, really want to thank you for sharing your story. I think it's completely inspiring and I'm super excited to see where you go in 2021. Thanks so much, Guy. Yeah, exciting times. Cannot wait to get 2021 started. If you enjoyed this episode, I want to talk to you about voicelink.fm. This is a place where you can send me any questions you have and I'll include the answers to your question on a future episode of the podcast. We're going to be doing a lot more listener Q&A. I'll answer questions on business, finances, entrepreneurship, marketing, travel, personal development, success, productivity, do I believe in aliens, is the Illuminati real? Whatever it is that you want to know, I'm going to answer those questions. Go to voicelink.fm 
forward slash free the wage slave. That's voicelink.fm forward slash free the wage slave. 